Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with dog behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. My name is Kayla Fratt, and I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training, which is both servicing clients online and in Missoula, Montana. And I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. So today we're going to be talking about house training, everyone's favorite pastime, I'm sure. (laughs) We're going to walk you through how we would prepare for a puppy house training consult and share with you our ideal puppy house training setup. So Kayla, do you want to get started and share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So this case came to me through my Ask a Behavior Consultant page, um, which is an area on my website where you can send me questions. And then myself or one of my trainers will answer them in a blog post format um, for the most part. Obviously, sometimes we get redundant questions, so we'll just send those people a link to another useful article in that case. But so this, that's where this question came from. So I have kind of a, an intake form that people need to fill out. So these, the details that we're sharing are the bulk of the details that I have. I'm obviously not sharing some of the information that I have, like the owner's email address. Um, but uh, the basic question that this owner had was, I take my puppy outside to pee on a predictable schedule. Most of the time he comes inside and pees right away instead. What am I doing wrong? So the puppy is a West Highland Terrier. He's an intact male. He's three months old and he comes from a reputable breeder. Um, And then I ask the owner to describe the pet's daily routine in as much detail as possible. And in, that should include where the puppy sleeps, what exercise he gets, where he, what he does while they're at work, and all of that sort of stuff. So the owner wrote, he comes out of his crate at 6 a.m. I take him outside to the same spot right away. I give him 15 minutes to pee. If he doesn't, I put him back in the crate with some water. I set my timer for 45 minutes, and we repeat the process again. We do this until he pees outside, which often doesn't happen. Whenever he does go to the bathroom inside, I scoop him up and bring him outside again. He will not go to the bathroom then. I bring him back inside for breakfast, playtime for about 40 minutes, and then we hang out for a little while. He goes back inside the crate for a nap, and when he wakes up about an hour later, we go outside and repeat the outside, inside to the crate, outside routine again. He goes to the bathroom wherever he does. I will wait and the appropriate amount of time and then give him lunch, play with him again for about 45 minutes to an hour, and then it's back into the crate for a nap. We start everything all over again after that. I stay at home, so I'm able to repeat this routine every day. It's been about two weeks, and this is constantly happening. So then I ask what the owner has tried so far to remedy the behavior problem, and they wrote, we keep a structured routine. I also tether him to me with a leash whenever he's out of the crate but inside of the house. Um, So I think now what we're going to do is Marissa and I are going to go through some of the things that we would want to know if we were going to go do a house training consult with this owner. And we're going to then explain a little bit about why those questions are coming up for us and um, some potential solutions there. Um, So Marissa, what is one of the first questions you'd want to ask for this puppy here? So the first thing is that we want to rule out any medical concerns here. Um, Sometimes that might feel like a really silly question to ask the pet parent, you know, has this puppy been checked out medically? Um, but it, we would feel really silly if for some reason it was a medical concern and we were trying to address it from a behavioral standpoint. Um, we are aware that even if we do address it medically, that there might be some behavior mm-hmm. fallout or some learning history there where the puppy is now learned to go to the bathroom inside. But we always are trying to look at whether or not we can rule out any medical concerns that 
could be contributing to this behavior issue? So that would be the first question, just to, just to make mm-hmm. sure we're covering all of our bases. Yeah. And it's honestly, it sounds kind of silly, but it's not terribly uncommon. And a lot of the puppy training house consults that I've been called in for, um, because generally by the time someone bothers to call a private in-home trainer, because let's face it, we're not cheap, um, for potty training usually means they're having an unusually hard time. Sometimes we can kind of look at that history and say, oh, okay, well here, based on your routine, we're seeing some pretty glaring red flags based off of what this owner has told me. I'm not seeing anything here that is like, oh my gosh, well, that's why. That is also part of the reason that we're kind of thinking medical issues. And I've had a couple cases where the puppy had Giardia um, or some other kind of stomach bug sort of thing. I recently had a cat litter box case, which is different, but um, it was there were some weird things in that case as well. And that cat turned out to have diabetes. Um, there's all sorts of things that can manifest as potty training issues. Um, again, there's a decent chance that this is just a training issue, but again, we'd feel really silly if it turned out that this puppy did have a terribly um, upset stomach um, or something that was contributing to the problem. Yeah, or something Mm -hmm. like that. It could be so many things. Yeah. And that's why you go to the vet and don't ask your trainer about it because we don't know. We haven't been to vet school. (laughs) One of the other things I'd like to ask is why 45 minutes? So, you know, the owner describes taking the puppy outside, waiting for 15 minutes. Puppy isn't peeing outside. They come back inside and then the puppy has to wait 45 minutes before they go outside again. Um, in general, when I do this sort of routine, I do something closer to 10 minutes in between each potty break. Um, yeah. So 45 minutes to me sounds a little bit long. Um, and I'm a little curious about where this owner came up with the 45 minute idea. Cause maybe that is some, some generally accepted wisdom somewhere out there, but that's not necessarily what I've heard. Yeah. I haven't heard that either. I think it's a, a long it's a longer time frame, and I also do 10 minutes. Um, and so I love the fact that this pet parent is, I mean, she's doing it right in the sense that like, bring him outside, he doesn't go potty, confine him again, wait a few minutes, try again, instead of just sort of like walking around the block for an hour, as most people do. Puppy doesn't go potty, and then they bring him back inside. The moment he's inside, he goes potty, right? So um, I love that she's already doing this process, which I'm, I'm imagining is probably why she's concerned and really frustrated about the situation because she's doing a lot of things right, which is super cool. Um, Another question that we have is a little bit, I'd love to know more information about the accident. So are they happening daily? Um, Is it getting better, worse, or staying the same? Um, It sounds like this woman is really regimented and taking the puppy out on a specific schedule, which is really great. So I think the first question I would want to know is, is is she keeping some sort of house training log? So, um, and the log would include both bathrooms, um, going to the bathroom outside appropriately, and then also going to the bathroom inside, you know, quote unquote, inappropriately not according to the puppy. The puppy would love to go wherever he feels comfortable going. Um, and so I think, um, I'd want to know how often this is truly happening and have her, if possible before our behavior consult, um, start tracking it so that we have some data to take a look at that. Um, the other thing that I'd also want to know in terms of the accidents is what time of day they're occurring and whether or not it varies. So that can also give us some some clues to like maybe the puppy is playing more or drinking more or um, it's just the time of day when she's not necessarily paying attention to the puppy as much, although 
she seems like she's pretty much on it. But is that give us any other detailed information about why it's happening when it's happening? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and who knows, maybe we'll see. That was one of the things, I think this diabetic cat, which again, I know this is a different species, but one of the other things that was a little weird with that case was it was always happening in the evening, Mm -hmm. um, which again was just like, that just seems weird. Like it was always between like four and 7 PM or something, you know? So sometimes if you're keeping a good log, you'll find things in there that are a little interesting. Cause if we think that this is purely a house training problem and just that the puppy doesn't understand where to go, which is entirely possible, we would expect it to be pretty random and relatively consistent across when the accidents are happening versus if there's something else going on, like the puppy is scared of the neighbors or the puppy is really excited about the neighbors or whatever, then we might see that the puppy is more successful at times when it's quieter or more busy outside. You know, we don't know. Um, so again, there, there just could be other things going on that, uh, that, that detailed record, if you're feeling stuck is potentially going to be very helpful for you. One of the other things I always want to know is where is this accident happening? Is it literally like the second you walk inside, the puppy is squatting and peeing? And if so, is there a big squishy mat there? I know I have a really big um, mat that helps me wipe mud off my feet before I enter my house. Is that where the puppy is going? Is the puppy going to a corner behind the sofa and peeing? I doubt it in this case because she's talking about the puppy being tethered and being otherwise confined. Like this, this owner seems on it, but for those of you guys who are listening, that is a really important thing. And if we're seeing that the puppy is always peeing on like a really squishy mat um, or in a specific spot, then there could be something about that texture that's really appealing to the puppy. And we can actually end up using that to our advantage later on. Mm -hmm. Um, Another question we want to talk about is uh, what is the water intake? And this is one of these questions is specifically for puppies. We ask, um, you know, how, like, do they have access to water all day long? And we promote that. We really want the puppy to have access to water all day long. However, I'm, I just want to know if and when the puppy is drinking water and if we're noticing that the accidents are happening around the same time that they have a lot of water intake, mm-hmm. um, specifically for accidents that are happening in the evening. So is the puppy eating and then playing and then drinking a bunch and then having an accident. Um, it's not that we're going to take the water away. I just think it's, it's, you know, another clue to pay attention to that is part of this whole picture. Absolutely. And yeah, like, um, one of the puppies that I worked with back in Denver who actually turned out to have, I believe Giardia. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the things we saw was this puppy was frantic about water and the vet originally suggested removing water for the puppy. And that actually kind of made it worse because then when the water was down, the puppy was drinking entire bowls, like multiple bowls. It was really unusual amount of water intake. And I can see why the vet was saying, oh, we need to limit this. But it actually turned out that there was um, a medical reason that the puppy was so thirsty. Yeah. And then peeing. Yep. And then peeing buckets. It was awful. <laughs> it, was, it was so terrible. Um, and then, of course, you know, because Giardia, um, the stool was not well-formed either. So it was just, it was a really gross oh case. It was horrible. Um, but, you know, it, again, it wasn't, it, it, that water intake helped cue us off that like, okay, this seems weird. Because some puppies do just really love water and they really want to play in it. And 
And those mm-hmm. puppies might benefit from learning some skills around water. But I've also found that in general, if they really seem to want the water, sometimes limiting it actually makes it a higher value item. If you think about me, I'm someone who like caramel apples are one of my favorite things in the whole world. Um, and when I can't get caramel apples like nine months out of the year and then they come around in October, I cannot help myself around them. Versus the caramel apples were as ubiquitous as Snicker bars. I might not eat so many of them That's when they so do come around. So what, what would you ask next, Marissa? Yeah, I think so. I, I want to talk. We have a, several questions here that have something to do with the environment outside in the backyard or the front yard or whatever it is. So we want to um, obviously we want the puppy to be going outside and not inside. Uh, and so we want to take a, you know, a, a quick scan about what's happening outside. And so um, I've had a few cases where um, there have been uh, the dog ha- was wearing a shock collar or there was ultrasonic collars or like there was some, there was some sort of aversive in the environment to mm-hmm. make the dog fearful of that location. And then therefore they would start to have accidents in the house. And I mean, this is, this is a general, like we're working with a puppy here, but still, if there, if, if let's say the puppy's on a shock collar and each time the puppy barks outside or something like that, he or she gets shocked. Um, he or she might create a negative association to that backyard space. And so then therefore they might not necessarily want to go outside. And then that's why they're coming back inside and then urinating and defecating in there. So, uh, we want to pay attention to the body posture of the puppy and, and check in to see what other, um, what the environment, like what the puppy's association of the environment is, um, by asking the client, but then also by reading the puppy's body language when when we're out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes it doesn't even have to be something as obvious as a shock collar. It could be, you know, I mean, some of our puppies are sensitive. They're scared. They're away from their parents and families for the first time. It can be something that to us seems as minor and silly as a plastic bag blowing past on a windy day or the trash cans being out. Um, And we can feel like that's really silly, but that's because we're really used to that sort of stuff. And for our puppies, that's not normal. That's potentially really scary. Just remember this puppy has only been on the earth for if it's three months old, you know, 12 weeks. Um, you know, he's really, really new to the world. Um, you know, if you think about what might spook a three month old human baby, um, because of their experience in the world, um, that can help you kind of remember that like, and not that they're equivalent of course, cause puppies do mature faster than human babies, but, um, there's stuff that it might just not be super obvious to you. And that again is where it might, potentially might be helpful to work with someone who's got an eye for this sort of thing. Um, i.e. a trainer. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I'd want to know, you know, is this puppy seeing being super playful or distracted outside? Has this puppy learned that going into the backyard is time to tug on the leash and run in circles and dig in the grass and sniff the things and say hi to the neighbors? And, you know, we can also see potty training problems with these more outgoing puppies where they're so excited to be outside that they just, it doesn't even occur to them to go to the bathroom. Um, so, you know, that's another thing that we could see is if this puppy is having a really grand old time outside. Um, and, and I actually, I like that this owner is only spending like 15 minutes outside before giving up and going back out, back inside. Um, 
15 minutes might still actually be too long. Um, Because for these puppies who are really easily distracted outside, potentially, yeah, if you just stay outside for like three hours, eventually they're going to go. But you're also kind of teaching the puppy that if they wait two hours and 59 minutes to hold it, then they pee, then they go back inside. That's not really the lesson that we want um, because then they're just going to learn to hold it longer and longer and longer. Um, So I actually might consider shortening the amount of time that the puppy gets outside so that it's pretty clear that like, hey, if you don't pop a squat and go to the bathroom here in three or five minutes, then we're going back in the crate. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit more in our, the second half of this episode where we talk about how um, we would ideally potty train in, you know, instead of in our ideal world, um, we'll talk a little bit more about how for us going potty actually starts the fun outside. It doesn't end it. Mm-hmm. So, um, what, what else? Another question we had was what's the weather like outdoors? I love that you added this question because I mean, is it snowing? Is it raining? Is it windy? Right? Like these are maybe unpleasant uh, conditions for the puppy to be Mm -hmm. in. Um, um, especially for our, I'm totally making a generalization here, but especially for our smaller breeds. Or I mean, gosh, if this was an Italian greyhound, I would just have alarm bells going off in my head of like, this puppy is cold potentially. Yeah. I don't actually remember what time of year this question came through. So um, if you are the person who wrote this in and you're listening now and you are sitting here saying, I wrote this in July in South Carolina, <laughs> um, I apologize because that doesn't mean that it, it, it was not too cold. That's not your problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, Westies, Westies are a little bit hardier, but like, you know, I think, I think for sure we have to take into consideration that like, is there a snowstorm five days in a row? And that's when this whole thing started. And then now it's just a behavior pattern. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, it could be really windy or it could be hot and that makes the sidewalk hot or, you know, whatever. Um, Generally, I think we're thinking cold, Um, but especially for girl dogs who might not want to squat in um, snow. I see that more often with female dogs who are pretty hesitant to go outside. I mean, there definitely can be male dogs who are kind of weenies about the snow, but if you think about having to lower your rump towards the snow, it makes sense that for female dogs sometimes the snow can be a little bit harder even and that's uh, like a fast generalization but yeah we're making a bunch of generalizations for the uh yeah that's kind of the point here (laughs) (laughs) um so i want to know whether or not tethering is working um because sometimes i think people read the advice of tethering online i like the tethering umbilical method. Um, but it's one of those things where it's easy to kind of get a couple things off and have that be why it's not working. So if tethering does not seem to be working to interrupt the behavior, perhaps it's because you're not watching the puppy as closely as you should be, because it's not like puppies can't pee when they're tethered. They obviously can pee when they're on leashes and it's the same thing. Um, it's more just that in theory, then the puppy can't sneak off to a corner to go to the bathroom. Um, so if tethering isn't working, potentially there's something in exactly how we're tethering that needs to be tweaked a little bit. Yeah. And I wonder too, like, what is this, what is this person's environment? And is there a way that instead of tethering, could we just block off areas using baby gates or shutting doors or like, can we create, can we confine the puppy to one small area of the house? So that if they're going to have accidents, we're confining the accidents to that mm-hmm. area 
Um, because maybe tethering is stressing the pet parent out. Maybe it's stressing the puppy out. Like you said, yeah. they could still pee real, I mean, super fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't like, sometimes that doesn't necessarily work. And not a lot of people that I've been, uh, some of my clients, they have not had the tolerance or the desire to do that because it becomes a huge commitment in terms of, uh, tethering. So we create like a smaller X pen area and Kayla and I will jump into that on the second half. Yeah. But, um, yeah, tethering is sometimes not the, an ideal option for most folks. So. It's kind of a lot to be like physically tied to your puppy who's got razor sharp teeth in its mouth and might be bored, might be cranky, might be wanting to play. Um, yeah, I personally also generally prefer to just put the puppy in a puppy's zone. I also find that um, the puppy zone or the puppy corner or whatever you want to call it is also helpful for teaching the puppy to settle and be, it's a really nice introduction to alone time because the puppy by definition is going to be somewhat included in things, but you're also going to get up and go to the bathroom or go into your closet. Or, I mean, I live in a studio, so there's only so many places I could go um, to get away from a puppy, but um, they're learning those sorts of skills versus tethering could potentially for a puppy who already has tendencies towards wanting to be underfoot all the time tethering can kind of play into that a little bit and might make it harder for the puppy to learn to be alone. I, again, I, I know people do it successfully, but you just need to think about that where if, if the puppy is always either tied to you by a three foot string or left completely alone, that can be a really big um, challenge for your puppy. So I would also want to know whether or not the dog has been punished for peeing in the house. Um, one of the things that we see a lot is people say, oh, well, he knows he's not supposed to pee in the house because he hides when he does it and he hides afterwards. And that doesn't mean that he knows he's not supposed to pee in the house. It means he knows that it's dangerous to get caught. And that feels to us with our big primate brains like the same thing. But dogs clearly don't quite think the same way as us. Um, it's part of why we like them. <laughs> and it's entirely possible for a puppy to be scared to pee in front of you or near you, but not understand that that's because they're supposed to be peeing outside. Yeah. Yeah. When I start going like, oh, like you know, if the puppy were to speak, right? He's not going, oh my gosh, it's morally incorrect for me to pee in the house. I should use the appropriate toilet. It's like, no, mm -hmm. they are peeing, feeling better after they pee. And then therefore they just reinforce themselves, right? And especially if you don't rudely interrupt them, it's a pretty successful learn interaction, right? Learn behavior. Yeah. So yeah, it's, they're not- And culturally it's- Dogs aren't really animals that have like latrines, um, as far as I know, um, the way some animals will like some big cats in particular will actually kind of use the same tree to pee on for like months. Uh -huh. Um, I don't believe that dogs naturally do that. They're much more of just kind of wherever we are, here we go. Um, or we're marking in specific areas. Um, and marking is a little bit of a separate problem from house training, obviously related, but, um, yeah, naturally dogs, as far as I know, don't tend to say, oh, here is the potty spot versus some cats do. And that's part of the reason where it's so easy to litter train young kittens. Like litter training young cats is miles easier than it is to potty train a young puppy because they just do it very naturally. Mm -hmm. um, 
to want to bury things and want to put it in a specific spot. Puppies, mm, no, not so much. More and more, I am seeing breeders who start very, very young puppies on substrate preferences. Mm-hmm. Suzanne Shelton actually has a really awesome poop school for breeders on teaching breeders how to potty train and start the potty training process with her young puppies. It's awesome. And she also has a poop school for brand new puppy owners who want to do this at home. Um, so we definitely will link to her. Um, we're going off the rails a little bit here, but I think the point is that just because your puppy seems to be showing body language that to you looks like he knows what he did is wrong. And more likely is that he's nervous about being punished and those are not the same thing. And then lastly, and I'm sure not lastly, but I'm sure that there will be a variety of other questions that come up as we're talking to the pet parent while we're gathering more information. Mm -hmm. Someone said to me, um, they watched me work with a client and they're like, wow, you're like a detective. It's like, yeah, we have, you have to ask (laughs) questions and continue to ask questions. And those answers create more questions. So, um, one of the last questions that we have here are what rewards are we using when the puppy pees outside? So if you're just going like, yay, good job. Is that, is that potent enough (laughs) to really get your message home to the puppy that like, Hey, that was worth your while to go potty out here in comparison to going potty in the really soft carpet inside. Right. So So convenient, nice and warm. Yeah. Uh, Like just sounds great. Playing. I'm going to pee right here. Right. So I think it's really important. I always tell clients to put like, um, you know, have, have something that is out, out of the ordinary. So maybe like freeze dried liver, they'll save that for house training or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they could put it in a tin and they can store it right near the door so that as they walk outside, they can grab a handful. Um, we don't want you to go outside, have your puppy go potty, and then you call him back in and then you give him a treat. You're rewarding him coming back in. You're not necessarily right. rewarding him going potty in that moment. So you want to stand near, stand near your puppy, be sort of calm and quiet. The moment that they finish, don't interrupt them. Cause I see that happen all the time. The moment that they finish, then go ahead and pop a really yummy treat into their mouth or take them off leash or utilize a toy or whatever it is that they find really high value. Yeah. But it's gotta be really high value. I also see the mistake of people, not just doing praise, but also, um, you know, thumping their puppy on the ribs <laughs> or patting them on the head yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. And some puppies find that fun, but that's also something that you're likely to do pretty frequently with your puppies. So it doesn't necessarily make a big impression. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, I don't know, I didn't know Barley when he was a young puppy, but for those of you guys who know what you know about him, um, gosh, I think if you try to potty train him with physical touch as a reward, um, I think he might still be working on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you might be more likely to get him to go inside if he thought that oh gosh peeing outside makes my owner touch me uh-uh. nope not not into it <laughs> okay oh. so those were the questions that we came up with and before we prepare to see the pet parent uh, so now what we're going to do is we're going to hear a word from our sponsors and then we're going to dive into our perfect puppy house training setup Hey guys, it's Kayla here from Journey Dog Training, dropping into the episode to tell you a bit more about what I offer here at Journey Dog Training. Aside from free resources like this podcast, my blog, and my YouTube channel, 
I offer low-cost behavior help in the form of ebooks and webinars to listeners like you. On journeydogtraining.com right now, you can find a webinar on how to prepare your dog for when you're expecting a new baby and how to help your dog survive thunderstorms and fireworks. Both webinars are only $10. If you're more of a verbal learner, we've got three ebooks available one on separation anxiety, another on aggression, and a third on overexcited greeters. All of those ebooks are under $20. If you use the code CONVERSATION at checkout on journeydogtraining.com, you'll get 20% off of your order. So we're back and we're going to talk about the perfect puppy house training setup. So the first thing that we need is a lot of supplies. So one of those supplies includes an X-Pen, a shower liner mat or some sort of tarp, and a litter box area, and a crate. So... Kayla, do you want to talk to us a little bit about why we might need all of those things and how we set that up? Yeah, absolutely. So I like um, when I'm doing puppy potty training, um, which I used to do more because I used to foster litters of puppies. um, And I've since realized that that is just something that I am not into. Um, It's a lot. (laughs) Um, But um, I would use an exercise pen or an X pen. And that's kind of, they're like three foot tall metal fencing basically that you can set up indoors. Um, they're pretty cheap. You can get them on Amazon. We'll drop in some links. Um, and the nice thing is you can set them up as a circle. You can set them up as a C using part of the wall, or you can set them up as a line as like a baby gate, especially if you've got like an open floor plan and a baby gate doesn't fit in some of your, your normal spaces. So we've got the X pen. And then I really like these shower liner mats. Again, we'll drop in a link um, there are these mats that are like five feet by six. Or I think you can get them at Home Depot and you can make them kind of any size you want. And they're a little bit thicker, but they're still quite cheap. And they're not quite as tempting to chew on or rip or shred as something like a tarp. Mm, I didn't um, know and they, and they, and they don't slide around as much. Um, so I like those a lot. You also, if you do, if you are someone who has puppies in your house somewhat frequently, you can reuse them, um, to, to a degree. Um, yeah. And then I like having a litter box area. This is not for everyone, but I really like, I'll get um, some turf um, and you can, you can actually purchase these like dog litter boxes that have turf in them or pellets or wood shavings or something. Um, and especially if you're getting a puppy from a breeder who starts their puppies on some potty training, it's nice to continue doing that for them. Um, and then we will we'll fade that out. Ultimately. I'm not saying that this means that your puppy always has to go there, but it does make things much easier even with the shower liner mat that makes things easier to clean up. But you know, if they're going straight into the litter box, awesome. Um, that just helps a lot. Um, and then we like having a crate in there. I like having water, some chew toys, you know, that might just be a frozen rag, um, dipped in beef broth or something. Um, Nyla bones, bully sticks, blah, 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 blah. Anything that's safe for your puppy to have as well as some nice soft things because they're teething. So give them a variety of textures and then I like having a crate that's made super duper cozy. I don't tend to create my dogs long-term as adults, but I like my dog to have the skills of hanging out in a crate and knowing that a crate is a place to, to relax. And that's really important for my job because when I'm out working barley on zebra mussels, um, he, might, he needs to wait in the crate in between boats. Um, and that's just a safety thing because we're working out of parking lots. And I also might be working another dog for a couple hours while Barley waits in a crate in the car. And then I come back and I take Barley so that dog can get a break. 
and then, you know, agility, vet clinics, um, travel, all of those things. It's just really nice to have that as a skill. Again, even if you don't anticipate creating your dog every day while you're at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make that create a really comfy place. That's where the bed is. That's where you eat your dinner. Um, it, if we're not doing training for dinner, of course. Um, yeah. So that's kind of How the general. The I want the crate for puppies. I don't generally go a whole lot bigger than puppy can stand up and turn around pretty comfortably. There are some pretty cool crates on the market that you, um, it's got like a, a second wall. Think like the thing in Star Wars, like the garbage chute that like yeah. almost kills everyone. Um, kind of like that, but not as dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so that when, you're, when your eight week old puppy is like, uh, you know, th- four pounds or whatever, you can make the crate pretty small. And then as they get bigger, because you don't want to have to buy a crate every two weeks. Of course yeah. not. But if you start out with your, 14 pound, eight week old, the great Dane. I have no idea how much an eight week old great Dane weighs. Um, I more than 14 pounds, but yeah. I maybe 20, 25. I don't know. Anyway, well, I don't know. we don't know. You've got your little great Dane puppy that is, you know, cat sized probably yeah. by the time you bring them home. Yeah. Before you're even done with potty training, that great Dane puppy might be pretty darn big. Um, and if you start out the brand new baby in a crate that is an appropriate size for the adult, there's a very good chance that your puppy is going to start going to the bathroom in one corner and sleeping in another corner. One of the things that you might also run into, so in general, most puppies pretty naturally don't want to go to the bathroom in their crate. So that can be a very nice tool. I don't like crating puppies excessively. Um, I don't think that's great for teaching them warm, fuzzy feelings about the crate long term, but it can be a useful tool, um, you know, if, and we'll talk about that. But one of the caveats here is if you get a puppy from a pet store or a crappy breeding situation and pet store puppies are often synonymous with puppy mill puppies, no matter what the pet store tells you, that puppy has been learning to pee where he sleeps and where he eats for his entire first life, you know, for the first bit of his life. So the crate can be much less useful for these puppies that come from less advantaged backgrounds because by necessity, based off of where they were born and raised, they were learning to essentially pee and poop in a crate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a crate tangent about that, but yeah. Yeah. Puppies from puppy mills, even if you get them pretty young are often much harder to potty train than puppies that were given a really rich, um, life in a foster family with a shelter or rescue or from a nice breeder where they were getting to go outside and they were getting exposed to a bunch of things and they had the opportunity to go to the bathroom somewhere other than where they sleep. Um, cause those, those habits can get built even very young. I'm curious, do you find that puppies, your puppy clients, when the puppies come from a breeder and they mention that the breeder was working on house training, do you find that the puppy is easier to house train? Yeah. 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 I mean, I feel like it's like, duh, but, um, yeah, I, no, it does seem to be working though. It's not, it doesn't seem like it doesn't transfer because puppies do. There's yeah. this, there's like, they, they tend to develop what we call a substrate preference. Mm-hmm. And if you can get them started on the concept of, hey, we go on this type of surface and we do it not where we do these other things and we can just get that concept started, I find that that's pretty easy to then transfer over. And of course, just because they 
understand that concept to a degree doesn't mean that they have the bladder capacity or, you know, let's be frank, the emotional, or, you know, like the forethought to remember like playing, playing, playing. Like, I mean, I, little kids do this too, where like, even as like a four-year-old is getting pretty good at potty training, if they're in the middle of a really fun game, they might have an accident in their pants because they just don't want to stop playing. Even, even with a human child who can have it explained to them. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting that like, I mean, I don't know the house training protocol for kids, but it's amazing that we just, as humans, not so much anymore, but still today, just jump to just punishing puppies for doing this as if they've come pre-programmed. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't imagine most parents would just punish their kids for, ha- for, for an accident in their pants. It's like, it's like, it's so normal for us, but for some reason we've like demonized puppies for going to the bathroom. It's very much the same thing. Like Kayla's talking mm-hmm. about, and you're right. Like you can actually talk to a child and tell them where you want them to go versus a puppy. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's kind of interesting to me. And, he, and you would imagine a four-year-old child has a lot more cognitive capacity than a three-month-old puppy. And we yeah. still aren't shocked when a mostly potty trained child slips up because they're having too much fun. Yeah. But we are shocked when like (laughs) a 10 week old puppy makes the same mistake. Um, obviously not all of us are shocked, but you know, okay. So what's next? We've got our setup. We ideally are setting this up before puppy is even home. So what do we do once puppy's home? Yes. So puppy's home. We want to take outside every hour more frequently though, if the puppy has been playing, sleeping, eating, or drinking. That usually Which is kind of most do. things that puppies do. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, now that I'm reading that, I'm like, oh God, that's like most of what puppies do. Um, you're pretty much on potty duty, which actually that woman, you know, in our, in our case study, I mean, kudos to her, man. She's at home doing that. I, this is just a little this is a caveat. This is my own experience. I find that when people are home and work from home, which a ton of them do in Boulder, when people work from home and they, they just take their puppy out every half hour, that they have a harder time house training that puppy than somebody that goes to work and actively has the same schedule every day. Mm. I find that like, that has been my, that's been my experience. No research behind that. All anecdotal. It's just that like, there's a, there's a schedule that is kept Mm -hmm. and they take the uh, puppy out in the morning, put it, put it in the X pen. Like we're talking about, they have a a pee pad or some sort of litter box area. Like Kayla was talking about the puppy goes potty in between. They come home for lunch. They come home at the end of the day and they repeat the whole process. Whereas somebody that works from home, they're sort of all over the place. Most clients that I work with never have a schedule. They're like, can you please help me with a schedule? I'm like, yeah. canceling conference calls. I'm taking the puppy out every 20 minutes. And I think it just doesn't help build bladder control. And yeah. it doesn't uh, provide that consistency that the puppy and the pet parent yeah. need. That's just been my experience. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think having a timer is really helpful. Um, and you know, if the puppy is sleeping, don't wake them up to take them outside. And if they're happily calmly just like hanging out mm-hmm. uh, you know chewing on a thing um or playing by themselves you might not need to take them out um but if they're playing really hard with you i would take them out um and generally not at the very end of play um i would take them out you know 
at some point in the middle of play, because if you wait until puppy has gotten bored and is like checking out of play, um, I mean, a, for some breeds that just might not happen. Um, and B, you can, again, as we're talking about, you can push them too far because they're having too much fun. And then, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes, depending on the puppy's age after eating or drinking. Um, so just after meals or after you see the puppy down a bunch of water. Yeah. And Kayla, do you subscribe to, or do you tell your pet parents about like, you know, however many months the puppy is, is however many hours during the day they can hold it. I think it's however many hours plus one, but I yes. usually do. I go, I go back a little bit conservatively just so that we've got, um, we're not pushing things too long, but, um, that's a really good rule of thumb for some folks. Yeah. Um, I find that generally helpful, obviously super duper tiny puppies. So like a three month old Chihuahua and a three month old Great Dane are not going to have the same bladder capacity. Totally. Um, but in general, I find it useful. The caveat I always give owners when I'm talking to them about this is that assumes that puppy understands the concept of holding it. Yeah. They might be physically capable of holding it for four hours. Say if they're three months old, three months plus is, you know, three hours plus one hour. So that's four hours. They might be physically capable of that, but if they don't, no. And I, I hate using the phrase like they know it or they don't know it because I think that then sets us up to want to punish them if they knew it and then yeah. they messed it up. But if you've been doing well with potty training and they really seem to understand the concept that, Hey, I can cash in my pee for food. If I go outside, um, mm -hmm. that's when you can start expecting those time limits versus if, um, if the puppy's never been taught anything and then just because they have the physical capacity doesn't mean they know that they should. Yeah, absolutely. So another thing that we want to make sure is that the puppy is only allowed out to the potty spot with active supervision. So this is not open the door and let your puppy go in the backyard. Um, this is another thing. I also feel like folks that are taking their puppy out on leash, that there is they're there, they're active, they can reinforce the behavior right there. And sometimes a little bit slower with folks with a backyard in, in, my, in yeah. my experience. And then it's been the complete opposite. Like the puppy can see the backyard. And so they just sit by the door and they, and they go outside. So it, again, huge generalizations, but yeah. we really want to make sure that the, the pet parent is out there with the puppy. And this way we can gather more data to see whether or not the puppy is concerned about the environment is, is playing is on leash off leash. Um, and if they're, if they're actively going, like some folks are like, well, I don't know if he went potty outside. It's like, well, <laughs> well, <that> data. <laughs> so yeah, I, and I would also say puppy is only allowed out of the potty area inside with active supervision. That's actually what I meant originally when I wrote it down, oh, but that's, you're that's absolutely right. Um, on the outdoor Basically, stuff as well. If you're inside or outside, it's active supervision, right? Yeah. And by active supervision, so this is actually, I just learned this from my, my really lovely writer, trainer at Journey Dog Training, Tresta. Um, so she's a family pause parent educator. And she broke down in a, an article that'll be live before this podcast is um, kind of the different types of supervision. And she was talking specifically in the context of um, kids and dogs. But so there's, there's every, you know, active supervision is you are, um, you're interacting with puppy or baby. Um, and you're preventing things before they happen and you're 
you're you're really really involved um, versus passive supervision is something that you will be able to build up to with your puppy. But when your puppy is you know new to you, you can't sit down and read with your puppy in the same room and say, "Well, I'm watching him." No, you're not. You're reading, and the yeah. puppy is nearby. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's also really important for the indoor stuff is just because you're physically close to your puppy. And this is where I think tethering can go wrong too, is you you think that because he's tied to your belt, you can do the dishes. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, you know, he goes right next to you. Um, So you actually need to have eyes on the puppy and be interacting with the puppy. Um, You know, scrolling through Instagram near your puppy does not count as him being supervised indoors or outdoors. Um, but I find it's really easy for people to miss that opportunity to reward or support their puppy outside because they're not paying enough attention or they're not outside with their puppy at all. And they also miss opportunities to say, Hey, you look like you're circling or squatting or like about to lift your tail or whatever outside we go. Um, (laughs) because they're not really being active with their puppy. Um, so that's again, where like something like that exercise pen setup is so nice because I think before I started doing the exercise pen setup, I was very guilty of doing a lot of quote unquote passive supervision where, you know, I was reading or on my phone or on my laptop and the puppy was out because I didn't want to be creating the puppy as much as I felt like I had to because I couldn't be watching him. Mm-hmm. But if the puppy's in like a nice cozy five foot by six foot X pen, and he's got everything he wants and his crate is in there, but he's not in the crate necessarily. Um, that, helps me feel a lot better. And I think I would imagine probably helps the puppy feel a lot better about the fact that, you know, if you're not interacting, puppy is there. Yeah. And I think, I mean, some puppies really enjoy their crate. Yeah. I've met some, some lovely puppies that just really, really gravitated towards it. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's not, doesn't have to be this like scary punishing place that we, and sometimes it is for some puppies. Mm -hmm, Um, and that again is where that x pen can come in handy Mm -hmm. um because if your puppy really hates the crate um then yeah then we've got something else um so the other thing is those potty breaks when you're going and taking them they need to be really boring so when i'm doing a potty break with a puppy i've got the puppy on leash we go outside i might carry them to the door if i think that they might pee on their way between the puppy corner and the door Mm-hmm. We go outside. Puppy is allowed to sniff, but if puppy interacts with me, I kind of just ignore him. I don't let other people or dogs interact with him until he goes to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Once he goes to the bathroom, liver treats, whatever, boom, 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 hooray, hooray, hooray. This is awesome. Now we can go for our walk. Now we can go play with the other dog. Now we can go say hi to the really um, excited person across the street. Um, if that's what works within your socialization protocol, of course. Uh, But potty starts the fun stuff. It doesn't end it. Again, people really often make this mistake of they walk the puppy around the block 47 times. The second the puppy pees, they go inside. What did the puppy just learn? Even if you tried to sweeten the pot a little bit with some liver treats, for most puppies, being outside is more valuable than liver treats. So, um, And then, yeah, just make sure it's really boring. If your puppy is trying to play with you, it's really, really hard not to engage with them, but that again can just not be helpful as far as the actual potty training goes. 
Yeah. I think that's happening with Sully and I right now because <laughs> he's like delaying going to the bathroom because it's starting to get cold. And I'm like, okay, we're going back inside. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, maybe I should actually take my puppy, my puppy advice and me and like do a nose ring game or something like that after he goes yeah. potty. Um, but yeah. So, and he's 11 guys. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. So another thing is, and we talked about this earlier is, you know, if the puppy doesn't go, don't just walk, don't spend your time walking around the neighborhood for like 45 minutes, like waiting and hoping and praying that your puppy goes potty. Go ahead and just go to the potty spot. Be boring. Like Kayla said, try for a few minutes, come back inside, um, confine them for 10 minutes and then try again. Right. So I'd rather you spend your time doing that process instead of like spending 45 minutes walking around the neighborhood again, crossing your fingers. So, yeah. Um, and I know. understand I live on the third floor of an apartment. If I had a puppy, that would be annoying. I would rather want to spend that extra time outside waiting uh-huh. until the puppy goes, but you know what? I'm going to do the stairs. Like I, it's gonna, it'll suck if, and when I get a puppy, um, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's just, I'd rather potty train the puppy faster and get more success more quickly than, you know, spend a lot of extra time outside. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I under, what I'm saying is I understand, especially if you're someone who doesn't have a backyard, how annoying multiple outdoor trips can be that can feel really disruptive to your schedule, but infants are disruptive to schedules and you have an infant. Yeah. I mean, I I always tell folks like it's a means to an end. Right. So it's like, you know, this is not going to be everything forever, like forever. Right. And everyone always wants no. to know, when is my puppy going to be house trained? It's like, well, it's all dependent upon a million different variables. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it is when you give folks that reminder, like, remember, this is not going to be your life forever. It does yeah. help. And honestly, I know a lot of skilled trainers who have potty trained puppies to basically errorlessly incredibly quickly. Um, if you do the legwork on the front end, it is totally possible with the right puppy to have a puppy who is very, very well house trained at a quite young age. Um, that doesn't mean that the puppy is not going outside for eight hours. It might still mean you're going outside every three hours, but it does mean that the puppy is not having accidents in the two hours and 59 minutes in between each potty break. And I, I, I do know that it looks like a lot and it looks um, really frustrating, but I do know people who have had pretty good success with this essential outline in just a matter of weeks. Um, yeah. But you know, if, if you're, if you know, your puppy's history and genetics are working against you or your schedule or your work schedule or whatever, it's working against you, or you've got multiple people in the house and it's just not being executed as well. Yeah. It might take quite a bit longer and that's not always your fault. Yeah. So, um, next thing, and this is a little bit of a crate training note, but also, um, a potty training note. Um, if the puppy is crying, I teach puppies that if you fuss or cry in the crate, we're going outside for a three minute potty break. No more, no less. Um, Fussing and crying in the crate does not get playtime. It does not get endless chew toys. It doesn't get a bunch of pacifiers. It gets a short and sweet potty break. And then you're back in the crate. And I like this because it teaches the puppy that I will attend to their needs Mm -hmm. um, if they're fussing in the crate, but the need that I will attend to is going to the bathroom. And it is really helpful to have a dog who will fuss if they need to go outside. Um, as they get older, I think Barley 
I'm totally speculating, but I think he was probably trained with more of a cry it out sort of method. And he does not let me know when he needs to go to the bathroom outside. He's fully potty trained. He's an adult, but I do not get fair warning. And we've had some accidents because he's had an upset stomach and he doesn't let me know. Mm. Um, I'm getting better at noticing because he'll often stress pant or something. But even as someone where this is kind of my full-time job to understand dogs, um, (laughs) I struggle to understand um, when he needs to go. So um, I really like this really boring potty. training method. And it also does take a little bit of knowing your puppy. So, you know, some puppies will fuss a little bit and then they fall asleep. You don't need to reward every single little whimper with a potty break. Um, but I also don't want you to teach your puppy that if they have a full on panic attack inside the crate, you're going to ignore them. So there, there's a sweet spot in there and it's going to depend a little bit on your puppy. Um, as far as exactly how much fussing should just be kind of ignored because they're going to self-soothe and learning to self-soothe is good versus like, okay, now that's different. Now we're going outside. And that is something that is very hard for me to just explain to you guys. Um, but do know that there is a line somewhere in there. I'm not saying that if your puppy like sighs, turn and turn, turns in a circle twice and then huffs a little bit, you need to take them outside. Um, but I do think there's a lot of advice out there that your puppy could be full on screaming and biting the bars of the crate, having a full on panic attack and you're going to ignore them. And I think that's incredibly harmful. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the other thing is that if accidents happen, we need to avoid punishment at all costs. Cause remember, you're going to be not teaching them to go to not go to the bathroom in the house, but to maybe not pee in that one spot. And then also to potentially be fearful of you um, or that location in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily about inside versus outside. So if accidents happen, we want to avoid punishment at all costs. We just want to say, butter, like maybe not say anything at all and just clean it up and mm-hmm. use an enzymatic cleaner and try again. So yeah. it's just information for you to tweak your plan. It yeah. is not information for you to get upset with the puppy because that is going to potentially do some more damage than good. Yeah. And I understand it's frustrating sometimes with Barley. If he's driving me crazy, I tell him what a bleep head he's being in a nice voice. And sometimes <laughs> I am like, I, and I'm like seething, but I'll just be like, yeah, you're a really bad dog right now. Yeah. And I'm really angry with you and it makes me feel better, <laughs> but it also um, doesn't make my dog scared of me. <laughs> yeah. So the next thing that we would like to think about would be picking up water before bedtime if the puppy is having a lot of nighttime accidents. Um, And this doesn't necessarily apply to, you know, six, eight, 10 week old puppies because we do potentially expect those puppies to need a midnight potty break or two. Um, But after 12 weeks or so, if your puppy is having a really hard time sleeping through the night and not having an accident, then um, it might be time to consider picking up water after your last nighttime potty break. Um, We don't want your puppy to be dehydrated. We're not going to dehydrate our way to potty training. But again, if your puppy is having a really hard time holding it through the night and they're over, you know, 12 weeks or so, um, Mm -hmm. it's obviously going to vary from dog to dog, puppy to puppy. But if Um, if you're really having a hard time fading out those midnight potty breaks, um, it might be a thing to consider. Yeah. 
And then lastly, um, adding one hour per month of age for bladder time. But like Kayla mentioned earlier, only once the puppy understands the concept of holding it. So the bladder capacity doesn't always correlate with the understanding of training. So this is not something that we want to start just right away. Puppy is mm-hmm. eight years old and he comes home and we're like, we need to, to train bladder control, right? We, we want to be able to just focus on getting the behavior correct, introducing them to the environments, reinforcing the behavior heavily. And as they age, start to work on that bladder control. So that's something that I usually add into my follow-up sessions with, with clients. Um, and mm-hmm. a question I always get is like, well, they can hold it throughout the night or they can hold it for four hours during the night. And it's like, yes, they are asleep. They are (laughs) empty. um, I also can hold it for 10 hours when I am dead asleep. I do not generally go 10 hours without peeing while I'm awake. I can't hold it during the night. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But I think, (laughs) I mean, I know, I know a lot of women who have had kids can't it's two different conditions. So it's during the day when they're active, playful, and at night where everything's sort of slowing down and they're empty from the previous night's last walk. I think that's about all we've got for potty training right now. Um, So thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, Let us know if you've got other tips that have been helpful for you with potty training your puppy. and uh, we'll, we might do something later on about more of like marking issues or potty training adult dogs. Um, but this is definitely kind of a puppy potty training episode. Um, so let us know if you need to hear those other episodes and we'll, we'll bump them up in our, in our uh, list of things to do. So as you guys know, my name is Kayla Fratt. I'm the owner of Journey Dog Training. You can find me online, journeydogtraining.com, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I'm also, um, accepting private clients in Missoula, Montana. And I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. And you can find me on pauseandreward.com. Before we go, please be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So please contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. Our theme music is called Funny Song and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by the lovely James Eady at beherd.org.uk. We love him. And our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Bye.